Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. He's been shot six times. Halloweenies. He's been burned alive. Halloweenies. He's lost his head. Halloweenies. Michael Myers can't and won't be stopped, which is why he returns this October. In anticipation, the Consequence Podcast Network presents Halloweenies, a limited series that carves out one Halloween movie a month, leading all the way up to the October 19th release of David Gordon Green and Danny McBride's new movie. You'll get tricks. You'll get treats. You'll get Michael. Tune in for the night we came home. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to this week's episode of This Must Be the Gig. I am your host, Leo Phillips, and here with me in the studio is engineer and all round gooby gremlin Adam. Hello. Hi. And uh, for you pod people out there, if you have just tuned in for the first time, after this episode, make sure to go back a few weeks and binge countless stories about the one gig that has changed people's lives. Find out which song it was, which uh, venue it happened at, what age my guests were, because my question is always really, what would you tout as the most memorable live performance of your life thus far? And you can always tell us at TMBTGpod on Instagram, on Twitter. Pod! Hit us up. We'd love to know. Yeah, we would love to know your stories. We've gotten a few over the last few weeks and they've just been wonderful. If anybody wants me to read out their story. I think that's a great idea. I think once a week we should start reading people's stories. That that will incentivize people to start sending (laughs) us more stories. Story week. Story week. Story week. Oh, here's the perfect idea. Okay. Leave it as a five-star review on iTunes. Oh, and we'll, hello. If you do, we'll read it on the air. That's a really, really good and idea. And discuss it and talk about how cool you are. <laughs> you want to be cool, don't you? But essentially, I really just invite my guests to share their personal connection to live performance. It's a soundtrack, a placeholder. It's a nostalgic ticket stub. And it's just been the most incredible journey so far. And this week's episode is truly special. I have Phil Elverham of Mount Erie. 
and he gave me a chunk of his very precious afternoon before his brilliant set at Sled Island this past month. And I couldn't have had a better guest to sit and spend an hour talking to. It was really wonderful. A little bit of context, I suppose, which we definitely need in most situations. There was this article that compared his 2017 album, the absolutely devastating and beautiful A Crow Looked At Me, to some sort of Holocaust poetry and had a nice nifty little headline saying that Mount Airy was the saddest musician in the world, which he then tweeted, I guess I'm the saddest in the world, question mark. Yeah, maybe. And that really fits because his wife, artist Genevieve, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer four months after she gave birth to their daughter. She passed away in July of 2016 and Phil, known and really loved for his music under the moniker The Microphones, processed and dealt with her death the loss and the pain and all the confusion through his music and the result was that very album that dubbed him the saddest musician in the world. It's mesmerizing, uh, totally hypnotic listening to him process the world whilst we all try and desperately hide ourselves, I think. And his songs dived into profoundly harsh and a little intimidating ideals about death. In my mind, it was really one of the year's best albums and I felt deeply honoured to be hearing it, let alone hearing about it. Um, I suppose the real and rawness of his stories and the brilliant way that he bonds together all his reflections. It like climbs down your gut, slaps you in the face while simultaneously squeezing your little hand that's all teary and telling you that everything is going to be all right, I suppose. That's just my experience. And now he's he's not even, you know, of course, he's yeah. still processing it. He's still feeling it. I don't know how you could ever stop feeling a loss like that. But uh, now only, from, from mm -hmm. this year, continues beautiful. that same process. And it's just equally beautiful and equally so difficult. And he really just asks himself out loud how to move on. So he asks about like, how does music benefit us? And it's not completely sad, you know, meeting Phil, he shows me that there is this sense of humor and a hope and a love and so much life after death. You know, we like tend to, I don't know, swirl the gunk at the bottom of our little mugs for our last sip. We wipe the little cookie crumbs from our faces. We terribly snort uncle laugh with our mates and life is life and death has become I think and I don't know if you agree a little bit sterile and and a little bit uh unrealistic which sounds crazy to say but it needs death needs to be questioned and felt and a little bit of living and and whying if that is even a word, uh, to really make it feel real again. And Phil is living it and he makes it feel real and he shares a little bit of his life with us for an hour or so and it's a completely beautiful and wonderful moment and I'm glad that it exists and I'm so honoured. I'm, I'm so honoured that he wanted to chat and he has amazing stories about a certain animal that his family found. <laughs> I'll keep you in suspense for that one. But here's us and enjoy.
was your daughter meant to come? Yeah, I think she thought that my daughter was coming because the uh, booking information that gets sent out to like all the shows I play. Yeah. Because uh, she usually does come on tour with me, and I, I never know. But for short things like this, she stays mm. with, at home. Does she just stay with, like, family? Yeah, with my mom. Well, that's convenient. Yeah, it is. So are you flying straight out tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. And then where do you go next? Where's the next... This is it. I mean, no, it's not it, but for touring, this is my second to last show for a while. Cause, yeah, I'm not on tour right now. This yeah, show, this just, is, this this is just the one thing. When did they ask you to do this? I forget, maybe in, like, January or earlier a long time ago have you been here before i have played at sled island before okay in 2011 maybe mm. and then in 2013 when they had huge floods in yes. calgary we were supposed to play and we were driving here i had a full band for that one but uh we couldn't make it all the way because they closed the roads and then oh ultimately canceled the whole festival because downtown was underwater Just flooded so we made it almost <laughs> Almost, yeah. And then we stayed in a hotel in a small town in northern BC and went to an open mic at a bar and played our show there. <laughs> oh, no. That's amazing. Yeah, it Well, was. you had all the goods. And then we drove home. <laughs> it was the weirdest tour I've ever done. But people, like, asking you, did, did anybody notice No, you? no, no. Oh. It's like... They were probably like, wow, this unknown band is really amazing. No, no. There were, nobody was impressed. <laughs> it was like, okay, and next up we have Phil and... It was just an open mic, like a typical thing. You're like, hey, Slate Island. We're not from around here. Everyone else was locals. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Did you bring your daughter to La Guess Who last year? She was to... in town, but she didn't come to the show. She usually doesn't go to the shows. Oh, in fact, okay. she never goes to the shows because when she is there, I'm distracted. She's like wants to be on stage. Yeah. And so... She comes to the sound checks, but then I have a nanny that that comes with me on tour. And oh, really? So they'll go to the hotel or wherever we're staying that night, sometimes with friends. That's so convenient as well. Yeah. Does that help a lot, especially so that you can get like into, get your mind into the action? Yeah. I, it's the only way I could do it. Yeah. If, it's actually so hard touring with a child. She's pretty good at it, but... How, yeah. old, is, how old is she? She's three. She's started touring when she was two and we did a lot of she touring in 2017 touring <laughs> i love that yeah she's pretty good at it she's been so many amazing places that other kids her age haven't been and i'm so and proud of some of those things to go. yeah that's true where's the coolest place you've taken her we like from in, your opinion obviously when she grows up i'll ask her like <laughs> well cool i think cool like rarest or yes, like strangest yeah. strangest like, i think that it's strange that she's been to poland <laughs> and also yeah. Korea, and also, uh, she didn't come with me to Australia and New Zealand. She almost did, but the flight would have been so crazy. Yeah, she's been to Hawaii twice. Like wow. she's <laughs> she's got a lot of stamps in her passport. I love that. I'm from South Africa, as mm. I'm sure you can hear my mm -hmm. accent. Do you have any plans to go down there at all? I'm no, I haven't interested. ever gotten an invitation or. I don't think I've even... Sh maybe I've sold one or two records to people there, but it's a rare 
but you manage all your record sales and everything, yeah. so you can see exactly where. Yeah, I know everything. I know the name and ad and home address of everyone <laughs> oh, that buys no. my record, at least on vinyl. Uh, yeah, at least on vinyl. Yeah, that's not creepy at all. I mean, I they mean, know everything about you, so I suppose no, it's, a it's good just payback. <laughs> payback, exactly. <laughs> if anybody yeah. like you know talk shit about you online you can I'll be track like, them down yeah. i'll come to their thank house thank you for your money but i will see you later yeah actually talking about online i saw you were selling your drum machine mm-hmm. are you still selling that yeah nobody bought it yet why? no 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 bites I why. somebody made a 30 dollar offer but that's too low that's not even close how what no. is the total price? nine thousand five hundred is how much which is honestly like is that cheap. a steal not a steal. Okay. It's, it's an insane. It's a very strange thing. Okay. I should explain the drum machine. It's yeah, I totally. I looked at some photos. It's and um, I was blown away by just the write up about it. Yeah. So you've definitely sold it in your advert. Uh-huh. So you've done a good job there. It's got to find the right person though, because it's mm-hmm. it's like a museum thing. It it belongs in a museum, not or in like a rich person's collection. I just inherited it from my great uncle who had lots of strange things. Oh, wow. And I've used it for the last 20 years on so many of my records, but I'm ready to get rid of it. And I finally did the research, what is this thing even? And I discovered that it's the first drum machine ever made. That is crazy. And there are only 10 of them. So that's why it's hard to price and how hard to determine mm-hmm. how much it's worth. But well, we know it's not worth thirty dollars. So to it's that person more than thirty. Who gave you 30 who, but thirty dollars can just go eat a bag of. <laughs> I think that person just wanted an excuse to have an interaction with me. <laughs> with you, yeah. And that's fine. I, I we were, I wrote back and we <laughs> talked, but um, <laughs> one has sold for like fifteen thousand dollars. So I wow. thought. Price it a little lower and see what happens, but no. It's so strange with things like that when you don't really know what they are worth. Yeah. And obviously, when you researched, did you look up like how did you describe it online? Did you have to? Like, I Google just looked its up parts? the name. And yeah, looked yeah. All the well, there's a whole his. There's like a Wikipedia of it. It's it's well known for nerds that like that kind of thing, mm. which I wasn't one of. And um, had you used yeah, it a lot? Yeah, it's on a lot of records going back to like. The first Microphones albums oh, have wow. it on some of those songs. And you inherited this from your... My great-uncle, great yeah. Uncle. He was just... He was a fisherman. I don't know how he had it. He, he had a lot of weird stuff. What else did he have? He had a gorilla. Um, he had a baby gorilla. Wait, a real gorilla? Yeah. Yeah, he... My family has this crazy story in it. It's <laughs> strange that it's coming up. But, um, yeah, yeah. The, this in the late 50s... In Anacortes, Washington, where I live, my family, my maternal great-grandmother, and Mm. then this great-uncle, and everyone else in the neighborhood, they got this baby gorilla somehow, and, um... Like I mean, it just I sort would of happened. Stop you if we had lots more time. I would stop Let's you right there. Let's get into that. Like, yeah. get, like unpack that. It was a different <laughs> time. There were just gorillas around. <laughs> I'm from Africa, and I don't even know anyone who owns a gorilla. That is yeah. crazy. It was. The, I love how they just came. My understanding is that he was in Ohio, and he was buying a car from a guy, and that guy was like, "Oh, I also have a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want this?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." And got this gorilla and then drove across the country back to Anacortes with this 
baby gorilla in a was basket. Was he in a circus? No, no. Okay. It was like a what newborn. <gasps> this newborn baby gorilla that... Oh, my um, gosh. Probably a poacher situation. And yeah. somebody had taken the baby and brought it back to the United States. And it was sort of before gorillas were in zoos or mm. zoos know what to deal with them, I, from my understanding. I mean, they and don't still know what to deal no, with them. No, that's right. How to deal with them. So, yes, that's yeah. true. But they were. it was even more profoundly like oblivious back then. Wow. And then they raised him for three or four years and they dressed him up in kids' clothing and he played with the neighborhood kids and his name was Bobo. Oh, and, no. and then he got too big Bobo. and started destroying the house. And Yeah, because he's not meant to live in four walls. Right. Oh, but he gosh. was just mentally, he thought he was a human. Like they couldn't get him to reproduce later because yeah. they had to take him to the zoo in Seattle. And it's a pretty sad story. But yeah, that's another strange thing. That I that wonder what would have had. happened to him though if they didn't f- take him. Yeah. So at least he had. That's how, true. Where, where I was going to say, where is he now? <laughs> like you well, could just take. Weirdly, <laughs> they stuffed him. They, they taxidermied him, and he's in a museum in Seattle, walking upright. They okay. mounted him walking like a human. On his hind legs, which is so strange. Do they have the story that he lived with humans? Yeah, yeah. He okay. He was. So it was like of... a news sensation when he was okay. alive. It was in Life magazine, and photographers came, and people would come and gawk. It was a big deal, apparently, in the early '60s. Wow, how did we even get onto this gorilla? Drum machine. <laughs> oh yeah. Gorilla. So you haven't sold it yet, no. but obviously it would be good to go into museum. Yeah. I went to the History of Musical Instruments Museum in Traverse City. Michigan? Is that Michigan? Yes. So it's in Michigan around that area. Hmm. And you go in and there was like three other people with us on this tour with this batty man Mm -hmm. who kind of looked like somebody who could have been in, I don't know, the office or Arrested Development. Mm -hmm. And he was very, very, very eccentric and really lovely. And he knew so much about all of these different instruments hmm. maybe that's someplace like maybe that, that, yeah. that maybe that would be a goodie i'm hoping we that should contact they'll find them me. yeah maybe <laughs> yeah. this podcast will get to the right <laughs> we'll ears going back to where i saw you last year in utrecht mm-hmm. so that was at jan's kirk mm-hmm. had you you hadn't played jacobs jacobs kirk. Kirk. Yeah. yeah you hadn't played le guess who before had you no i hadn't that was my first time. Yeah, that was a really wonderful performance. I don't know. I know that you've played so much, but no, that one stands out for does me. Does it too. stand out? Well, the reason is because there a recording emerged from that show, and I in my, I remembered it being particularly good and huge. It was kind of the best show of that tour. I thought it was one of the best times I've ever seen you. One of the best shows of that festival. And I'm not just saying Thank it because you. you were like sitting right in front of me, but it was really... Thank you very much. It, it did was... feel that way to me too. It felt like I'm so glad special. to hear that. I really but am. I'm putting out a live album of that. So the recording turned out really good. Oh, wow. Which was strange because I don't like live albums and I don't even want people to record my shows really because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not like uptight about it but I just kind of believe it should be a thing that happens and then gets and forgotten then it. yeah like it's yeah. a thing that we're all in the room together for and so I did say like no recording mm-hmm. but then somebody on the crew recorded it either without knowing that I didn't want them to or just because mm-hmm. 
and I'm so glad they did because the show was so special and the sound was so good. Like the, it was this huge cathedral, so there's like kind of epic sounding, mm. but not too epic. No, <laughs> it's like when you walked in, I met the cathedral, the guy who runs the area, because mm-hmm. I don't I had my camera shooting the mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. So I think he was like, ooh, let me take you to this little area where you can see the sta- see where he's going to be standing. Mm-hmm. And he took me into the back area where the bells are, mm-hmm. up this winding mm-hmm. stone steps, which mm-hmm. I wish if you are ever in that area again, you should definitely go explore. Yeah. And into these little doors that you have to crouch down really low to get into, mm-hmm. and then actually perched on top, which directly look down on you. So did you you have so pictures sh- from that show? Mm. Can you send them to me? Absolutely. But I have I no documentation. There's this one photo that it's I so use for the record cover. There are a few photos that I tracked down, but I need more. So when are you releasing that? Probably October. September, and that's from October. that show. That's that show. It's a, in its entirety. And it, oh my I'm really gosh. happy about it. It sounds really good, and the the artwork turned out really nice. And yeah, it's going to be a nice like double vinyl. I can't wait to hear it. It's called After. That's the name of the album, After. That's beautiful. That was one of the possible titles of uh, A Crow Looked At Me. Mm. But it, it, it seemed appropriate for this live album because it's it truly is a document of that mm. strange in-between space where after the cataclysm, mm. before things mm. have settled. Just yeah, like in limbo. This, yeah. yeah. After... After a death or after an album, mm. <laughs> the live show. Yeah. That's amazing. I thought that the fans obviously really love your work. And it was one of those types of shows that I just wish everyone was at. So it was a very difficult show, actually, to review. Hmm. Not to make this about me. But mm-hmm. it was actually, I like what you said about sometimes just sitting and watching. Because mm-hmm. I was... I could only take photos when you first started. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we didn't. They, he actually put me there because I didn't want my flash, mm. not my flash, my chatter. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to make a loud sound. Mm-hmm. And then I just put it away after the first song because everybody around was kind of getting really, really worked up mm-hmm. and a little bit hysterical. And I didn't. Everyone was like looking around just beautiful as well and you were standing in front of like a stained glass yeah i don't know if you remember like yeah. a stained glass kind of sh- um yeah i do screen so it was just uh, it was crazy <laughs> that tour in europe was so many beautiful cathedrals actually and it got to be a joke it was like Ugh, another cathedral <laughs> that, <laughs> like, yeah but that one was the biggest and most beautiful and also, just the the vibe of that festival, it seems to be all people that truly love music and are truly, like, showing up for it. It's one of my favorite festivals. I know I'm, like, saying that whilst we're at another <laughs> festival. But I'm allowed to, right? Sure. It, it really is. Um, the Dutch are nuts. Mm. They are crazy. But the festival owners are such avid music lovers. Yeah. But, like, to a point where they, they are fanatical. So yeah. the people that they get to play at that festival are always a little bit offbeat in terms of oh I wouldn't necessarily think of having you know Elsa Suarez or they had 
Johnny Greenwood's band as well play. There's so many different artists mm-hmm. play, and I think that the lineups always so. It's just always so diverse, which yeah. I think is so hard to do nowadays because you really do want to sell tickets and. Right. You know, I don't know what their goal is ever, but yeah, that's definitely one of my favorites. Especially when you're playing a cathedral, do you notice people's reactions, or are you kind of clocked in to your to your songs? Yeah, I have to close my eyes and attempt to ignore people's reactions, but I I do notice somewhat. The songs are so personal. This mm-hmm. this batch of songs, especially, I've always kind of been like this, but lately even more so. The songs are so. Uh, internal mm. for me and also there's so many words i have to stay focused on to remember so if i was <laughs> paying attention to like the vibe in the yes. in the room mm. i would just get spun out on like what did that person just do why'd they turn their head is that mm. person going to the bathroom or do they hate this mm. <laughs> and yeah could so, so i just have to close my eyes and and pretend no one else is there people around me a girl like dropped to her knees and there was another one like laughing then there was another one just like leaning forward mm-hmm. and a lot of the times of watching it i i mean i couldn't contain myself either but a lot of people around me were holding on to each other mm-hmm. and i got to talk to a lot of them mm. afterwards to say like do you know each other and they complete strangers whoa so that's why I know that you said like that show was so meaningful, but I've I don't think I've ever seen an audience. It was so intimate. Yeah. That and everybody was sitting really closely together as well, mm-hmm. and I landed up holding the person's hand next to me also. Wow. <laughs> and my husband was sitting on the left of me, and I had the girl's hand. Wow. I know. I, well, but maybe I am a bit like, I'm quite tactile, so uh-huh. like I've got to touch to stuff. Uh-huh. But I saw everybody else around me was having the same wow. reaction. I didn't know that. I knew that people, I noticed after, because like, I would go like sell merch after playing, and yeah. I have always noticed at these shows people with like red eyes, like they'd been crying. And sometimes I can hear crying. You can. Sometimes, or sometimes it's like oh people gosh. pretending to cough. Oh. <laughs> to like hide it. Yeah, or I can never tell like what's crying, what's... No, they're crying. I know well, that there's crying, crying happening. And some shows there's like full-on bawling. Yeah, that was one of those shows. Yeah. Uh, but It's incredible yeah, that that physical happens. physical contact was going on. Um, a lot of people also got off their chairs and sat closer to you. They're like, you yeah. know, up, up in the front. Up in the front. That was really something that I thought was. Because obviously you're the kind of artist that they feel that they can do that with as well. Mm-hmm. But that's also strange, I suppose, for you because you are singing these songs that are so personal and about your life and about your experiences. And mm-hmm. then you have these people, you having these people it's resonating so expressively with yeah. them but like vocal vocally expressive right it's all so strange i can i can only imagine i just even thinking of it now makes me a little bit teary <laughs> to be honest and not yeah. in a bad way not mm-hmm. in a way of like oh this is so depressing it was the most beautiful thing cuz people are so often they forget that if you're sitting next to somebody at a at a show, you're mm-hmm. more than likely going to have a lot in common with that person. Right. If you like the band that's playing, mm-hmm. 
and I thought that the irony, I suppose, of what you were singing about and having that un- unity, yeah, having people come together was quite extraordinary. It's, it's so overwhelming to consider these things for me because I'm maybe the only person in the world that has my perspective on this. <laughs> yeah. I, like I can't appreciate it in that way because for me it's just this whole other thing. Yeah, and I. And it's all so abstract and strange that the re- the reaction, the aspects of the reaction, not only at the live shows, but just the things people have said and written about the albums, mm-hmm. have been s- so nice and so intelligent and kind of, yeah, just overwhelming. And I, s- I think maybe my mind has to shut down because I just can't take it in and process it and accept it. I mean, I I think the first thing I was wondering to ask was if you disconnect a little. Yeah, I do. As you said, you have to almost think of like a technical, the technical aspect of yeah. it as well. You are still playing your guitar. You're still, you know, emitting sound. So you are still responsible to convey that message. Mm-hmm. So you have things that are on your to-do list. Yeah, lots. And if you if you got completely overwhelmed and notice those people bawling Mm -hmm. i don't know how it would affect you i'm not sure how that aspect there have been moments where i lose focus and Mm -hmm. i just bumble the words that's mostly what it is there's so many words it's like an hour of just like solid words so but your inflection and your pacing and things like that in moments is great so that you do you do break it up a little, but you are, mm-hmm. there are, you're right. There's so many words. It's a lot of words. The story. Mm-hmm. I haven't, this is the first show I've played in a few months. And I, mm. to rehearse for this, yesterday I got my guitar out for the first time since I was in Japan. Wow. When were you in Japan? April. Oh, wow. Okay. But uh, I played one song. I'm just hoping tonight it will be like riding a bike and I'll remember all the words, but <laughs> it didn't refresh my memory you know i think that you are a certain type of artist so even if it doesn't come as quickly i think that that is also okay Mm -hmm. surely people they're not expecting a certain thing Mm -hmm. i think that that's what's really lovely about some of your shows Mm -hmm. is that you are singing similar songs during Mm -hmm. you know your set lists but it still does feel like you have moments where you are human, I suppose, mm-hmm. which is so rare. I hate to even say that, but nowadays things are so rehearsed, mm-hmm. which is good in a way, of course. You know, if you've got choreography and you've it's got a lighting. question of taste, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But yeah, I kind of feel quite honoured that you are chatting to me now before your show, mm. because I'm sure that you. I mean, you have been doing, you have been speaking to people about it. Um, have you found that not only p- the people writing about it, but also people speaking to you about it, have you found like it's resonated the way that you would have hoped or the way that it feels comfy for you? Nobody's really made you feel a little bit, you know, unhealthy. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been great. The reaction, before I released A Crow Looked At Me, like mm-hmm. I'd made these songs and I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know if it was even okay to make them in the first place, mm-hmm. let alone release them. And I had nightmares, actually, or this one nightmare I remember at least of playing them in front of people and somebody coming up and punching me oh on stage because they just... What, like in the gut? In the face. In the face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, because that's got to be like a metaphor for obviously <laughs> yeah. overworking mind and. Well, I knew that people. There's a f- wide spectrum of capacities that people have for their willingness to be confronted with mortality and the details of it in this way and i knew that i was poking at tender spots for everyone and that one of the reactions that people can have is to like get aggro and violent and i was worried that i was going to inflict that on people Mm -hmm. i didn't want to be confrontational with it Mm -hmm. but at the same time i wanted to like say my thing Mm -hmm. and the reaction has been both the polar opposite of that. Just Well, not only that, but I was nervous of not violence mm. only, but also just kind of idiocy because yeah. I over 20 sucks. years of making albums and like existing yeah. with the internet, the typical conversation around music has not a super sophisticated level of intelligence no. it's mostly like entertainment for mm. young people <laughs> yeah. and, and th- that's not what this is that's not what this thing is that I was doing and mm-hmm. but I was releasing it into this sea of sort of young people who enjoy judging online like nerds yeah and proper uh, nerds yeah yeah and so I just felt it felt so perverse to put this super tender aspect of myself and my family story into mm. this uh, the wrong atmosphere but I was su- surprised and like reaffirmed in humanity by the intelligence and compassion that that everyone has had I wonder if it's because of your approach because I know that for example like the glow part two like my husband cannot listen to that because it was the last thing that his friend who passed away oh. sent him Wow. So, and I, I, I'm sorry. I that's probably. Uh, I also should have asked if that's okay to share because that's also something mm. which I'm sensitive uh, to. An artist, you can't just like blurt out your life story. Oh. But that is certainly something that I know, um, and I'm sure he won't mind me even saying. And there's a lot of people who've passed in my life that they have. They've taken music with them because. Mm. I can't the even go association. Near, I can't even go near it. Uh-huh. Um, or I can't stop because it celebrates the you know the memories that I have. Right. I think because of your approach being there wasn't a finality to your story mm-hmm. in a way which sounds crazy to say, but no, it's true. It felt like you are still figuring it out. Like mm-hmm. you're still working it out, and mm-hmm. you did it in such a genuine way because it felt so stream of conscious you Mm -hmm. know and nothing was contrived Mm -hmm. and i think in the world that we live in at the moment there is so much going on yeah that to get that kind of honesty and openness is just you can't not look you have to go toward it it's like a light you know but do people come up to you after when you're selling merch and things like that do people come up to you and share their stories yes how is that i i yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not tons of people, but mm. some at every show. Or they don't share their stories, but I know that they have one, and they're, like, weeping. Do you find that comfort in knowing that people at first are I did. in numbers? Or was it just... At first, that felt good. Not so much with the uh, in a live music setting, but, yes. like, once the story got out, 
I started getting letters and emails from other people that had a similar story to me, which that felt really comforting in a strange way because a lot of this, um, this experience of going through an unusual death, like a rare disease and... Uh, so sudden. An untimely death of a, a person who's too young to die. Mm. It, it can feel like this is the only person that this has ever happened to in history, and no one can relate, and mm-hmm. I'm alone in this. But mm. then to f- discover, like, somebody across the country who also lost their spouse at the same age, and they have the same aged kid, I don't... It's It's strange that that is a source of comfort, but... It was one of the biggest sources of comfort at the beginning. But then, of course, after like 50 of those people, it starts to feel overwhelming. Especially because it is about death. Something about that, as you know, it mm-hmm. doesn't. Th- you can never get over it. Mm-hmm. It, is, it will stay with you whether it changes shape and changes its face over time. Yeah. It stays with you. And I think that that's the thing about it that so many people question their mortality, question why they're here and you know want to live life to the max you know Mm -hmm. there's that whole like positive era coming around and i think that when people just embrace being in it Mm -hmm. as opposed to like wanting to change from it right that can really be quite moving yeah that's that's my stance too yeah but i think it's also just a question of taste again or it's a personal thing i love that there's so many ways of dealing with it and i think they're all okay well some of them aren't okay but yeah (laughs) but yeah it's i don't think it's necessary for everyone to like face the darkness in this confrontational way that happens to be my my reaction and i i think that has been good and healthy for me your storytelling just down to that and i know i'm saying storytelling and it's like your life but Mm -hmm. how observant and the details Mm -hmm. that for me is something that as a writer it it is extraordinary to see and hear as well Mm. and so getting to that point of trying to go through everything and then obviously translating that live yeah was there any moment where you thought like just going to put it out in the world, see who buys my vinyl and not play the live shows. Oh, or yeah. was it really important? No, no, it was, I thought, no way am I ever going to play these live. Yeah. <laughs> and what then, made you do it? I don't know. Uh, habit, I guess. <laughs> habit of just performing. Yeah, that's series. what I do. It's, I mean, not really. Yeah. There must have been a reason. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do with them. I released the records because as I was recording them, I started to like them. I started to like the recordings and be proud of the writing and Mm. the structures of the songs and the production. It just, I was proud of it. So Mm. I I forget what tipped the scales for making me want to set up a tour around it. I guess I got in touch. I didn't have a booking agent before. I've done all of my touring, setting it up myself for the, for 20 years but then I like I can't I know that you did most of your stuff yeah on on your own it's crazy it's crazy to have done it that way I mean even though even like a person who's done it for so long 
it's so volatile. There's like a million yeah. moving parts. It's just a lot of work, a lot of email. A lot of email. <laughs> yeah, email. And I, email. then I was a single parent and I just couldn't. I didn't have computer time anymore. So I reached out to this booking agent that I knew would maybe work with me and sent him the record. And he, uh, he convinced me like we would be able to get really suitable shows for this in sensitive places with like close yeah, listeners. Yeah, I was wondering and, if that was a thing to yeah. consider exactly. I know oh, you said totally. like cathedrals because you can't just be playing. No, no, we were really, we talked a lot about what kinds of places would work and still like every show I play mm. I have to do, um, just make sure that it's not a, not the wrong place. It has to be a place that's geared towards, well, people having comfortable chairs yeah, because not it's... like standing around on a dance floor. Yeah, and um, yeah, not no distractions. Don't you have a song where you're talking about Skrillex, like yeah. playing at the same festival as Skrillex? Yeah, and the show part of that, I did play at the same festival yeah, as Skrillex, just, yeah. but my show was in this beautiful little grove, and the birds were flying around. It was perfect. It was great, but yeah, just the contexts that I've been put into, because music is mostly like fun mm. it's mostly something people enjoy <laughs> and yeah that's not those aren't quite the right words for these songs although there's enjoyment in them and there's even like there's laughs. so many i mean it is funny you have a really beautiful way of like finding a kind of kookiness in, in it all so yeah, i definitely there's some think, moments yeah. yeah there's definitely moments where people or maybe they're just laughing because it's so overwhelming well that's because <laughs> that's what necessary. i sometimes when i get nervous i giggle sure. or laugh i mean everybody does gallows humor yeah exactly so when you booked all the shows with the booking agent mm-hmm. letting them have all the responsibility did that kind of make you almost accountable like okay well now i have to do it as opposed Mm -hmm. to like oh it's all in my control i can back out whenever i want no it has always still felt like it's all in my control they run every show past me and i okay it's all i'm i'm still the boss but no it just it was more like they tipped the scales into making me think like it's safe to Mm -hmm. go out into the world with this and there's there's an appetite for it i think Mm mm-hmm and then the more I did it, like after the first few shows, I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And actually, it's really rewarding to exist in the world with this stuff. No one's going to punch me. And no, in fact, face, no. people <laughs> need this mm. in a lot of ways. Not that I do play these shows feeling like, yes, you're welcome. I'm providing you this <laughs> like emotional relief because I'm still totally just doing it for myself. Yeah. But I also recognize that is happening, that people are appreciating in kind of a a needed way. This might sound like a straightforward question, but why do you think people need this type of content? Because we don't talk about death. Because nobody, because it's scary. It's fucking scary. To think about how we're all going to die and that how even young people might die Mm. at any minute. And like, it's not fun. So we don't really have a conversation about it. In our culture, some cultures out there maybe do have a healthier version of it, mm. but there's a thirst, mm. I think, that we all have to talk about the thing that's not being talked about. Mm. Especially also because of your situation, I suppose, that you you were thrown into, you know, you had to still wake up every day. Yeah. 
you know, your clothes on, get your yeah, daughter make breakfast, up, make for breakfast. A kid. yeah. And I think that's what's not spoken about as well, mm-hmm. you know, as being a single parent. It's not really like glamorous to it's speak not glamorous. about it. <laughs> it's not entertaining. It's not like Kim like Kardashian's not- <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> or whatever it's like have you seen that by the way that i know is, i've never looked at it but like that's my example like, of clo- I see glamorous it like on, but i'm very curious just because everybody talks about it all the time no i i don't even know what even- i'm <laughs> saying as an example but i just mean a song about like trying to make making breakfast daily for a mm. toddler into something poetic is uh kind of counterintuitive yeah but that's what I was saying, that your details, I think, um, I suppose it's any time you meet somebody where you feel like you can see their heart mm. and it's not contrived, that feeling is like so big, mm-hmm. you know, and especially with art. And I definitely think that people do need to speak more about these kind of unglamorous things almost because mm-hmm. life has become this one edit you know mm-hmm. we're we can edit our tweet or well, we can't edit our tweets but we can review them mm-hmm. a million times we can edit our photos i can edit this podcast well and all this you know? stuff too all this this online existence as we have it's like a cultivated version of ourselves that we're managing all the time and manufacturing yeah and, so and it's i think frightening. we've grown accustomed to a dishonesty that mm. pervades everything. Mm. It's yeah, it is weird. I think that is an well, not only that, but politically, like we've just accepted yeah. that lies are everywhere, and that's <laughs> just how the world is. It's a mess. It's all lies, and yeah. everyone knows it, but everyone's still going along with it. Mm. So, yeah, that's why talking about breakfast resonates. I guess I don't really want to hear about like bitches and hoes and a like you know a big jet or private jet like that doesn't you know Mm -hmm. i don't have bitches and hoes in the jet can't relate to it (laughs) like not even a little bit but relatability is is like so rare at the moment Mm -hmm. um and not to say that we don't want to live in a fantasy because i still love my sci-fi and fantasy books Mm -hmm. and i love the franchises and all the movies and everything Mm -hmm. um but there's a level of escapism in like reality tv and Mm -hmm. and and online that is not healthy yeah um do you get to watch other bands often like do you get to listen to much other music especially because you have a daughter so i'm sure you're listening to Horrible music. Horrible (laughs) children's music all the time. Yeah, that's been increasing. I've been holding in the line and and insisting that we listen to good music, but she's still she's into okay stuff. She's into like Sound of Music and Wizard of Oz lately, which isn't the worst. No, kids kids music gets Mm. much worse than that, and that's not even kids music. No, but um, I don't see bands. No, I don't do that. But I do listen to music all the time with her. She's super musical and um, sings constantly. Does she? She's always like, Dad, what's this? What's the bass player in this band's name? (laughs) What's the drummer's name? Okay, who's that singing now? What did they just say? Like, she's just really absorbent musically. That's wonderful to be around, I'm sure, for you. Especially just to know that, oh, this is so nice to have somebody that I can share that passion with as well. Mm -hmm. Although I'm sure she'll change. Yeah, maybe. Um, She's been like that the whole time. mm. Like all of her three years. (laughs) (laughs) She sounds like this 
real person. Like, yeah, she is. I know that a three-year-old is a human being, <laughs> but you know they form into these like talking. No, she's beings. full, fully a real person. She's got a big personality. So not really getting a chance to see many bands and things like that. Do you have? I suppose what I'm always interested in is the show that you find for yourself the most memorable Mm -hmm. maybe one that you either played or one that you went to maybe when you were young like what like what was the first show you ever saw my parents took me to um oh it was a movie (laughs) (laughs) I always had it in my head that they took me to the Grateful Dead when I was a newborn but it was actually a live like a concert film of the Grateful Dead Uh so that doesn't count I mean it kind of counts yeah stuff like that like music was always around growing up the first concert that I like made a big deal out of making an effort to go to was MC Hammer in Vancouver in what year would that be like 1990 maybe it was it didn't change my life it was. It felt like going to a basketball game. It was just a huge arena, and I That's watched down the screen. Like, what? No, I also <laughs> didn't really enjoy going to basketball games. But then, like the second concert after that was Nirvana. Oh wow! Which was also at a coliseum at uh, the basketball stadium, but mm-hmm. it still felt like the world was opening up for me then. But like artistically, the one mm-hmm. that stands out from back then, I saw Stereo Lab play mm-hmm. at the college in Bellingham probably in 95 or 96 mm. and I remember even this distinctly this one song they played um what's that song called la la lune leave je crois it's um and they played it for so long because it ends in this drone on this one chord mm. and they played the chord for like 15 minutes and it just like escalated into this trend I'd never seen anything mm. like that and I was a teenager and I was making my own home recordings mm already then but and they were kind of my favorite band oof yeah it was a big deal who were you listening to around that time were you listening to Stereo Lab Stereo Lab and Sonic Youth were big oh Eric God. Strip this mm. Canadian band um, but yeah like stuff that was both entertaining but and but experimental so I was listening like a Sonic Youth song came up on shuffle the other day and I was reminded how perfectly experimental they were mm. while still being like fun to mm. bob around to yeah. and how grateful I am that they existed on a major label at that time and introduced this idea that crazy feedback and noise can be present in mm. in fun music yeah, and, and be used as an artistic tool absolutely and taken to places that you never would imagine something like that to yeah. go you know, obviously, like, stretching something out to, like, 15 minutes long yeah. is, you know, that's... That blew my mind when I was 15. Or, yeah. And also seeing that live. I remember I saw, like, a My Bloody Valentine when I was living in London, like, oh, my God, when I was, like, 18 or something. Amazing. And that was one of... The, and I'd seen shows, but mm-hmm. that kind of droney, like, guttural... Yeah. Felt like somebody was, like, pushing me into the ground. Yeah. That feeling, maybe having like a visceral reaction was something that I wanted to have. Totally, yeah. But it's something that a lot of bands attempt to do, but they, you know, it's difficult. It's hard to know that that's where you're going to take your instruments. 
Right. Um, no, I know. I, my experience with a show like that was Sun. It's been Sun. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They played them? at Legis Who the year yeah. before you played. Oh, yeah. Okay. They did like a whole curation thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. I saw them in Seattle at kind of a small place. I forget what year it was, but it, yeah, it was a huge deal. I, my body just felt horrible the next day. It felt like I'd been but good be- horrible, beaten right? up. No, just horrible. <laughs> just horrible. But like I was so happy because it felt like my guts had been mm. pummeled. Yeah. And well, they were. They were pummeled by low end yeah. and extreme volume and so much smoke or fog. Mm. I know you can't really see, you can only see their silhouette, or even actually half when you see them. You can't really even see much of anything. It didn't feel like I had seen a band play. It felt like I went to (laughs) view a sculpture. And, you know, it was like... like, an art exhibit. It it wasn't music, even. It was like a thing that... Or like I had gone to a really horrible sauna (laughs) and like something and messed my body up. And then, like, woke it up the next day really yeah. sore. Yeah, and, like, yeah. gotten a really bad massage <laughs> from a really abusive person. I love them. I've seen them a few times since then. I I would go out of my way to see them any chance I got. I love them. Did you grow up in Canada? No, I'm okay, from... Okay, because you yeah, said that your first show was kind of... Vancouver. Yeah, Vancouver. it's pretty close to it's the close. border. Yeah. Did you go when you were younger other than that stereo did you see many bands like were you that type of young music lover yeah. like yeah. going to watch live shows well so many of the shows that i wanted to see were 21 and up oh, because of okay. the drinking age mm. and so that's why i only played all ages shows for almost my entire career because mm. i like had this resentment from being a teenager <laughs> yeah. still not being allowed in yeah i think it's so dumb but mm. uh Whatever shows I could, like college shows in Bellingham or some small things in Seattle. But then most of the shows I've attended sort of coincided with me playing them also. And I would... That's interesting, yeah. I started touring pretty young and I'm just still doing it. Did you know that was what you wanted to do? No, I still don't know if it's what I want to do. (laughs) But I'm doing it. I mean, you like... In your slops. Yeah. You look like you're about to go to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. You're so, like, relaxed about it, which I think is exactly, like, I think when you lose that, mm. then shit's going to go down. Yeah. Because you can't, if you take it too seriously, I think that's with anything. I don't think that that exists just in the world mm. of art. I mm-hmm. think that if you take anything seriously to the point that you are stunted in your, you know, your experience of it, then... Mm-hmm. So... You went out on the road. Do you remember the first show then that you ever played? Like to an actual paying live audience? Or actually, no, let's not say paying. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. The first one, yeah, I think the first one was, I played the drums in this band when I was in high school. So that would have been the first show. And I think the first one was at the Eagles Hall in Anacortes where I live. And it was... Mm -hmm. A fundraiser for the local uh, forest education nonprofit, <laughs> and we were the openers. We were like the new youngest band, but everyone else was also young. Mm. I was so excited! Like How we, old were we you? practiced all the time. I think I was fifteen. Oh my gosh, that's sixteen super maybe. Young though, no? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is yeah, young. yeah. It's young. It could be younger. They have younger bands, but <laughs> it was. Bad. It, we were bad. It was very bad music. 
but it was fun. I played the drums and I wrote a lot of the lyrics too, but I didn't sing them. My own like songwriting yeah, and stuff you. sort of developed secretly later. I, mm-hmm. I was once I had discovered recording, and it started off as a recording project that I didn't ever play live mm-hmm. until until they became more like traditional songs that could be played on a guitar. But it used to just be these like recording experiments. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting that you were playing the drums first. Mm-hmm. Do you still play the drums? For you obviously yeah. for your own stuff. You do. I do. I I don't play them. I was thinking about that today. Actually, how much I would like to play really loud drums yeah. in somebody else's band. I miss it. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah. Even if it's your own version of like a drony. Yeah. <laughs> noise band. No, I just want to play loud, fast drums. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I like. The work of like, ugh, I gotta drive my drum set and like set it up. It <laughs> takes me forever to set them up. Sorry, everyone, I'm setting up my drums. Sorry, they're so loud. I remember, like, I've, cause even while doing microphone stuff, I played the drums in this band called Old Time Religion mm-hmm. for a few years, and we toured a lot. And mm-hmm. I've been the drummer in bands a lot, and I miss it. What did you love about that, other than obviously the setup and making a scene? <laughs> what What was it about? It's just fun to play the drums. Yeah. Just that release. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it's loud, kind of transcendental music. It's. I mean, I would not not necessarily say that it's strange that you like that kind of music, considering your, you know, what you've made before. Mm. Um, but obviously the direction that you've taken your new uh, collection of songs, do you feel like this is its own box? Yeah. You know? And you'll explore in other directions you wouldn't take this and morph it into different things this is going to be its own yeah will be its own thing thematically i probably in the future if i make more music i'll probably make loud music and also quiet music still like yeah i don't want to limit myself Mm -hmm. i know that there will be it will just be exploration but yeah i I like loud music when i'm home alone when my daughter is elsewhere Mm -hmm. That's the, what I listen to is super loud, like extreme metal. What? Really? Yeah. And I love it like so much. What? Opening the doors and windows of the house and turning the stereo all the way up and like making the neighbors nervous. They're like, oh, Phil's at it again. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this band, Liturgy, mm. from New York. And I don't explore that drummer? much. Uh, uh, Greg Fox. Greg Fox. Yeah. He's amazing. He was in this 14-piece collaborative yeah. dream machine. I don't know if you heard about no. that. They played in New York a few months ago for the Red Bull Music Academy. It was in May, actually. Mm-hmm. And we went, and it was with, yeah, it was Greg and a bunch of other Genesis PRH, a mm-hmm. bunch of other people that you would never have put in the same room, and it was literally that type of yeah. music. Like extremely loud and fast. Uh, I mean, somebody had actually a seizure the next Whoa. day during it. Yeah, they did warn everybody, but I don't think that they realized that some people just don't listen to the rules, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. But I had my eyes closed most of the time. But Were there strobe lights and stuff? Oh, there was like a big... I wish I could show you a photo, but there was like a big kind of tube in mm-hmm. the middle and everyone was like kind of lying down on their backs and there was this big projection on the ceiling and that tube was just a strobe mm-hmm. kind of pew-pewing to mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the sound sure, strobe yeah. Yeah. strobe max 
but it was just incredible to see that and hear that drumming as well yeah so he's amazing you should really try and track i don't know if they've they'll ever release like a live version of that but yeah right up your alley all right good to know do you have like a plan i suppose in like my life just in terms of what you wanting to do over the next few months is there anything that you are especially after coming you know releasing your album a few months ago and last year's album is there anything that you feel you still have to get out i did for a while when i was finishing up now only i was wrapping it up there was this one song that I or this idea for a song that I was struggling with for a while I didn't feel like it was done and I couldn't and also the album was already long enough it was the length of an album oh wow um just the one song this one song it was going to be called old people dancing (laughs) and because that's the thing my daughter used to say she was like (laughs) I saw some old people dancing (laughs) as a what like she had seen this randomly. like yoga workshop, and that's <laughs> that was her description of it. <laughs> but oh, all, I love that. Yeah, it's so visually pleasing. That <laughs> yeah. title. Yeah, but like old hippies, not yeah. like not <laughs> people ballroom dancing, <laughs> but like hippies in spand in purple spandex yeah. doing like waving up to the sky. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but that's not what the song was about. <laughs> but yeah, I just couldn't quite. But I may have let go of that idea. For a while, that was hanging over me, like, I'm I'm going to make a third album that's going to be this idea expanded mm. into 40 minutes. But time has passed, and I am not in that state anymore of mm. grief and death. And I also don't want to try and stay in that state, of, like, mm. artificially, because I have more shows and touring about it to do. Mm. Like, time is passing. And I don't have a plan. I just am open to whatever's going to come next. But you're excited. Yeah. Like of course. you enjoy, still absolutely enjoying this or yeah. this life thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I I'm, I'm feel happy and lucky to be alive. Definitely. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and The Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already
Consequence Podcast Network.